Hello, and thank you for joining us for what I hope will be a fascinating and interesting discussion around some of the latest data in rheumatology. My name is Professor Peter Nash from Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane in Australia. And today we're very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Marta Mortazavi, who is the clinical director of the Anti-Infectives Research Unit at Pfizer in the US. She's also an assistant professor in the Division of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the University of Pittsburgh. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us. The pleasure to have you. We're going to be discussing one of your recent papers, which is in a journal that I don't follow very often called Therapeutic Advances in Musculoskeletal Medicine. And it's a paper on rheumatoid arthritis disease activity and adverse events in patients receiving tovacitinib or TNF inhibitor, a post hoc analysis of oral surveillance. So welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and where you work and what you do and where you came from and what your interests are. Thank you so much for having me. Um, well, like yourself, I am a rheumatologist. I, I trained in rheumatology, allergy and immunology in Rochester, New York with Dr. Chris Richland and some other names that you may be familiar with. Um, and then I moved to Pittsburgh where I joined faculty at the UPMC and have been seeing patients here since 2021. Um, in 2020, I joined Pfizer as a clinical director and I joined their inflammation and immunology division um, and worked on the JAK inhibitors with a focus on tofacitinib. And uh, then I transitioned to early drug development and discovery where I currently work. That sounds very exciting. Can I ask a little bit about um, oral surveillance made a big difference around the planet and I think it's often been very poorly interpreted. Mm -hmm. People read the headlines, they don't read the, the data itself. Can you tell us how it changed practice in the US as a result of surveillance? Did it affect prescribing of one jack, all jacks. What happened to the market over there? Because in our country, we saw a downturn, but I think that's all slowly reversing back to where it was. And Australia was one of the largest uptakes of jacks in the world. At one stage, one in three MTXIR went straight to a jack and one in three TNFIR went straight to a jack. And I think that's slowly recovering after an initial dip what happened in the US? Well, I can't really talk about the market, to be honest, because that's not the area that I work in, but I can tell you about what I have learned as a physician from oral surveillance. I truly think it's a study that we should all learn um, because it tells you a lot about rheumatoid arthritis and about clinical trial design. Um, so oral surveillance was mandated by the FDA in um, the early 2010s. Um, because tofacitinib was the first JAK inhibitor to come uh, to the market for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and at the time, they wanted the company to design and run a fairly large, long um, post-marketing study to compare safety events um, on tofacitinib compared with the standard of care in the clinic at that time, which were, JAK, uh, which, which were TNF inhibitors. Um, so that's, that's how the study came to be, and it ran from March of 2014 until summer of 2020. So 
very, very long uh, and ultimately recruited uh, over 4,300 patients who were followed on average for about four years. So the, the data in this study is really, really massive. There are three really important things to understand about the study. Um, the primary endpoint of the study was to look at uh, a comparison or non-inferiority between the TOFA 5 and 10 twice a day and TNF for two uh, main adverse events of interest, which were MACE and uh, malignancy excluding non-melanoma skin cancer. Um, and um, so that's, you know, these are rare adverse events and that's why the study had to be long enough, large enough, and also enriched for a particular population uh, in order to capture enough adverse events to be able to make that comparison. Um, and that's why so patients- I think that's critical. That's a critical. Yeah. So first of all, there was no statistically significant differences of any of those outcome measures. And these are numerical differences that we're talking about. They had to recruit over 4,000 people as an event-driven study to get enough events for a comparison point of view and that these patients were particularly enriched for cardiovascular risk um, over this period of time. So um, tell us a little bit about, we can discuss the balance in detail, the five milligram dose, the 10 milligram BD dose. Uh, in the US, it was compared to adalimumab. Around the rest of the world, it was compared with etanercept. Um, tell us a little bit about what this particular study was looking at um, because it makes a very important point about disease activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, as you were saying, you know, the, the study was enriched for patients to be over 50 and have at least one cardiovascular risk factor. But when we looked at the data, uh, we saw a few other interesting things. One was that uh, the length of time since diagnosis or duration of RA disease at the time of entry was on average 10.4 years. So the patients had had RA for anywhere from several months to 57 years. Um, the second was that um, only about less than 30%, so about 29% of the patients had been on any synthetic DMARTs other than methotrexate. So a very low percentage had been on combination or triple therapy at all. Um, a very low percentage, about 10%, had ever been on a biologic and 57% of the patients came in with steroid dependence as a part of their therapy at baseline. So, you know, all of the opinion leaders we spoke with who looked at this data had the same reaction, which was these patients have been severely undertreated for a long time. Inflammation um, as a result of their RA disease activity has to be an independent risk factor. So that was our goal here, was to evaluate whether we could show what, if any, impact the disease activity due to the RA had had on the occurrence of the different adverse events. And our secondary goal was to show whether that relationship was impacted by whether the patients were on tofacitinib or TNF inhibitors. So what disease activity measures did you look at, particularly in this study? And how did you then statistically analyze in a post-hoc fashion how disease activity and outcome uh, compared? So we chose one established um, composite disease activity score, which we thought was kind of 
utilized on both sides of the pond equally. So we chose CDI um, and then we chose CRP as the other measure. Um, and the analysis looked at a time dependent regression, which takes into account the patient's CDI or CRP at baseline, but also all of their subsequent uh, measures, which were about every three months while they were in the study. Um, yeah. Keep going, yeah. No, and then, and then uh, we looked at what the risk for the patient was, uh, the hazard ratio of having any of those adverse events when they had any disease activity compared with being in remission. Okay, and tell us a little bit about um, the findings of your study then. Yeah, so what we found was that at any point in the study, if the patient had residual disease activity, their risk of having certain adverse events was increased compared with uh, if they were in remission. Specifically for non-serious infections, which are things like a uh, sinus infection that is uh, treated uh, as an outpatient. Uh, we were able to show that there was a statistically significant increase in risk if you had active disease and it was sequentially increasing. So, you know, high, high disease activity compared with moderate, low, and so on. Um, for the other events, we were, we saw a directional suggestion of the same, but you have to keep in mind that the number of adverse events that occurred for things like MACE or VTE were quite small. And so reaching statistical event, um, statistical, statistical significance was um, a challenge in the study. Um, but we were able to show that there was a directional increase in risk also over VTE and MACE. And was there any associations that you could look at like steroid use, um, prior history of infection, et cetera, steroid dose even, were there diabetes? Were there any helpful predictors of who would be at the highest risk? Because a number of papers now, both from our country and others, more than half of our patients are in moderate or high disease activity in every study you look at. And mm -hmm. in all of these clinical trials, at least half are on steroids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. So the regression analysis, if you look at our methods, is actually very statistically complicated because we controlled for all of those variables. So we controlled for patient demographics, which included things like sex, age, race, um, the duration of disease, you know, what medications they had been on previously, all of their um, uh, baseline medications and all of their baseline comorbid conditions. So, so this uh, analysis, it, it controls for all of those variables. And could you see a dose effect between 5 and 10 BD or in the difference in effect between tofacitinib and the TNF inhibitors? So in order to look for a treatment effect, we ran a sensitivity analysis where we looked at an interaction term between disease activity or CRP and um, the adverse events that we were considering. And the answer is no. So the, the risk for the adverse event increases with inflammation and it is independent of the treatment. So it's true regardless of if you're on TNF or tofacitinib. So there's no, no significant difference. 
Now you're talking mace. I'm sorry, you're talking serious infection. Does the same hold true for mace events and for VTE events? Yes, it holds true for all of the adverse events that we looked at in this study. So the biggest driver of those adverse events is active disease. Uh, did it correlate with duration of disease? So I understand the questions you're asking, but I have to keep in mind this, what the statistical analysis allows me to answer. Um, and essentially, we controlled for all of those other independent risk factors. So I don't know that we can say that inflammation was the biggest risk factor, but we can say definitely that it was an independent risk factor in addition to all of those other ones. And you looked at CDI, which is mm -hmm. um, um, very helpful, tends to be European. I don't know how many Australians do CDI, how many US rheumatologists do CDI. What about CRP? Did the same hold true? Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, if the audience is interested in looking at figure three in the paper, um, there's a very, um, I think, simple representation of the risk imposed with every five milligram uh, per liter increase in CRP. Uh, we saw a 6% increase risk in MACE, 4% for malignancy, 5% for VTE, 9% for serious infection, 2% for NSI, uh, and 9% for all-cause mortality. So they're the hazard ratios for the AEs of interest driven by increments of CRP. Uh, and you have a very nice figure two as well, which just shows you how infrequent the events were. For mm -hmm. example, the MACE events out of over 4,000 people, you have 128 events to try and statistically sort out what drugs driving what issue. So that's uh, very interesting. There's, there's some Zoster data, but Zoster is what you'd expect with uh, Jack inhibition in any case. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, the take-home messages and what the clinician should think about and how it should affect our practice moving forward and how we should think a little bit more about oral surveillance in particular. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when we think about rheumatoid arthritis, we tend to worry about the patient's joints. And we know that treating to target is really important for long-term outcomes in terms of disability in the patient's joints. But we have to remind ourselves that rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic disease with systemic inflammation. And we know that systemic inflammation is an independent risk factor for adverse events. It's been shown in this study I know there was a pooled analysis uh, with upadacinib, and they, they found the same, that um, you know, the patients who had adverse events had less improvement in symptoms than those who had events. So it seems to be a consistent finding. Um, and I think as a practitioner, what I take away from it is that um, we need to continue surveillance of our patients, even when they're on an advanced therapy, and especially in a population who has other risk factors. So in particular, you know, from this study, we know those who are 50 or over who have cardiovascular risk factors, we really need to monitor their disease activity and their CRP long-term. So our job is to control the inflammation to reduce some of these things. And I think we need to be more cognizant of cardiovascular and other risks, statins, 
etc. Yes. Smoking, diabetes, hypertension. We have to become physicians again, not rheumatoid arthrologists. Yeah, or um, at the very least, work with the primary care provider or um, cardiologist to you know try and mitigate the classic risk factors as well. And I just think it's interesting that the ULI guideline, which allows low dose prednisone, with the implication to get off by three months, mm -hmm. is really very difficult because we have great trouble getting people off the last few milligrams of prednisone. And once the bottle's in their hand, they tend to dose. They tend to get on the uh, roller coaster, take it when they're sore, stop when they're well, flare, settle, flare, settle. And even a paper published yesterday, 32% of their patients never got off their low-dose steroids, um, recent, a recent uh, annual publication. So I do think we have to reassess how we use low-dose oral steroid. And there seems to be this push from Martin Bors and others that low-dose steroids are effective and safe and keep it going. It's not going to be an issue. It's certainly not what we see in our patients. And a lot of the patients seem to be overweight, smoking, poorly controlled Americans. Is that being unfair? Um, I mean, we specifically recruited patients with high risk into this study, you know, so that is to be, to be expected. Um, but yes, we are certainly more unhealthy on this side <laughs> of the ocean. <laughs> So thank you very much. It really highlights the importance of disease control, and that's really our primary job. Amanda, tell us about the limitations of this study. So there's three main limitations for us to remember. One is that this study was not powered for this specific analysis. It was powered for um, looking at non-inferiority comparison for two primary endpoints, with, which were MACE and malignancy. Um, the other one is that the study does not have a placebo arm. So, you know, we can only comment uh, comparing tofacitinib and TNF inhibitors. Um, it's, um, th that is important to keep in mind for this analysis and in general. Um, and the last one, which is probably the most interesting, is that, as I mentioned, these patients had, had RA for between 10, um, about 10 years. Um, and we don't know exactly how much disease activity they had suffered during that time. So, you know, between the few months to 57 years of having RA, were their joints on fire the entire time? Uh, or is this someone who happened to be very un uncontrolled just immediately prior to coming into the study? So that is one of the things that we could not analyze in the study and is one of the limitations. Excellent. Thank you. So thank you again for your time, Mada. I would like to, if you'd like to know more about this paper and read it for yourself and have a look at these figures and understand a little bit more about this postdoc analysis of oral surveillance, you can get detailed slide sets available in the publication section at imidforum.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes or other podcast media give us some feedback, let us know what you think. You can watch the forum on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And to keep up with all the new immune-mediated inflammatory disease content coming soon in 2024. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I just want to um, give credit to all the amazing co-authors and this paper. This was a big undertaking, so I want to thank all of them for all of their work. And thank you so much for allowing me to present this um, scientific communication today. 
Thanks very much.